What's up, Kings fans? If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford, feeds it right side to Foley with a shot. Save rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL. Hey, what's up, Kings fans, and welcome to episode number 32 of the Hockey Royalty Podcast, the unofficial podcast of RinkRoyalty.com. I'm Scott Kinville, and before we get going, we just want to let you know that you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Rink Royalty and also at Royalty underscore pod, and you can find us on Facebook at the Hockey Royalty Podcast. So we got a great show lined up for everybody today. Before we get going, I want to bring in our panel. First up, as always, our fearless leader, the man who leads us into that journalism battle every week, the one and the only, Mr. Ryan Sykes. What's happening, Ryan? Hey, Scott. Doing well tonight. How are you? I'm doing good, my friend. Doing good. Watching some good playoff hockey going on. We got an exciting Ontario rain coming up a little bit later on here. So Yeah, 9.30 start time, 10.30 for you. So make your, make your coffee. It's already made. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us, as he usually does, Coming to us from the sunny, the sunny sunshine of Southern California, the man who puts the shake in shake and bake. It's Mr. Russell Morgan. What's going on, Russ? Dude, Scott, you you're killing me, bro. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel like a, the Rock walking down the runway right now. <laughs> hey, can you raise one eyebrow? <laughs> no, as long as many times as I tried, I could probably do a good people's elbow though. Hey, there you Still go. Just not on me. It's a- <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, without further ado, I want to bring in our guest. Our guest this week knows pretty much everything there is to know about prospects and the drafts that are coming through. He runs the draftanalyst.com, and he also has a podcast called The Draft Analyst as well. So as you can tell, we're going to be calling him The Draft Analyst. It is Mr. Steve Corianos. What's going on, Steve? Thanks for coming on. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, we really appreciate it, too. So tell us, how did you get started with The Draft Analyst? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I started watching the, the draft when I was a kid, but it was all like the Canadian feed. So I'm like eight years old and I'm watching all these, you know, Canadian guys talking about the draft. And I was amazed at how, you know, they 
they had the different setup than the NFL and the NBA draft. You know, they have all the scouts on the floor and uh, there's this big entourage that goes up to the stage to make the pick. And sometimes they have the kids with them. And, and so I, I thought it was interesting. And, um, you know, I always wanted to be a sports writer. So, uh, you know, before I, uh, I had a career in the military for about 13 years, but before that I was in, uh, you know, journalism, worked for ESPN, worked for the AP. And uh, I just, I was always into prospects. And so uh, something that I was always into and, when I realized that I was going to make the Army career anymore, I, I decided to transition. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I did baseball a little bit, but Baseball America seems to have the uh, the monopoly on that information. So I said, you know what? There's kind of a little bit of a void. Most of the, the publications that we get as draft fans in hockey come out of Canada. There wasn't really like an American-based uh, prospect, I guess, forum or platform. And really, that's just how it started, little by little. I started just tweeting random stuff out, started going to some AHL games. And then really 2015 was the first year I did it, opened up the blog, and uh, the rest is history. You know, it's funny because I was going to ask you that about when you started watching the prospects as a kid. Just because, so you know, I am old enough to remember watching the NFL draft on ESPN when they were actually using handheld, you know, signage and all that. Uh, back when Pete sure. Rozelle had the phone. Rozelle, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're based out of the New York City area, correct? Well, I'm from New York City. I live in Nashville now. Uh, I left oh, yeah. New okay. York. Yeah, I left New York in uh, 2017, living in the city. Uh, and now I'm in, like, the Nashville area. So, uh, you know, it's growing hockey market. I mean, they, they went pretty crazy over the Preds a couple of years ago. Uh, now they've just accepted that they're a mediocre team. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I'm kind of – it's it's not optimal for seeing this, the, the, the kids, though, because mo- when I lived in New York, I got to go to Canada, and it was a lot closer now – you know, I, I just went to Dallas. They're like, oh, it's close. It's only nine hours away. <laughs> you know, it used to be the other way around. So everything was really close by. But, um, yeah, I love it here, though. Nice place to live. So you kind of touched on um, <clears throat> the Predators. And I just kind of want to get your overall thoughts on the playoffs thus far. We're two games into um, a lot of the games. You know, you got a really good series in Tampa, Florida Panthers. Just what are your thoughts overall? Well, there's two things. One thing's surprising and one thing's not surprising. The one thing that, that's not surprising is, is the intensity and the hitting. We, we all knew that because of the restructuring of the divisions, when you play the same team eight or nine times in the regular season in a shortened regular season, then it's going to just add all that much more intensity to the, when you, uh, if they meet up in the playoffs. The one thing that's surprising is the, are the shot totals, that like the up and down. The, I mean, I don't know if you're a conspiracy theorist and you're like the league is telling – the teams, hey, open it up a little bit more. Uh, you know, we kind of need the excitement. You know, both down the, uh, the the Penguins games, you can have forty shots plus, uh, forty plus shots. You can uh, the same with the Bruins Caps. Bruins one of the better defensive teams in the league, and uh, you know the, that that game was forty and forty shots each. So, uh, I like it though. I you know I like it. I, you know I remember the dead puck era and the the one nothing games with fifteen shots apiece. But uh, this is great. The only thing that we really don't have is that like elite stopper goalie, you know, it just seems like all the goaltenders in this, maybe Fleur, if you want to count him as one, but yeah, I remember, I go back to what, eight years ago when they used to do the beach ball gifs of Fleury because he was letting everything against the flyers. <laughs> uh, but you don't really have that one goalie that you could say, you know, that guy is going to, you know, he's a star. There's no Hoshek. There's no Jonathan Quick. There's no Brodeur or Wah or even like, uh, I mean, Carey Price will be in it. We'll see how he does, but. Uh, so maybe that's the reason why you're having all these up and down affairs and uh, high scoring games, but, uh, very exciting, very exciting. 
Well, we've yet to see Jack Campbell, though. That's that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. They love him in Toronto. They love him. They're obsessed with him. I, like I get it, but uh, I'm going to watch that series though. <laughs> I'm oh, gonna be yeah, that's, that'll that be fun. You, you mentioned it too in the shot total stuff. Colorado had 50 shots last night against St. Louis to um, the Blues 23 shots. I guess Steve, give us one series you think could be could go all seven games, and one series that could be a clean sweep uh i think the blues might find it in them to steal one game but they look pretty beaten down last year when they lost to vancouver and they and they 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 this is a pretty humbling humbling like well the other game was it was pretty humbling like to get beat down like that they didn't have a good season so i think that's going to be the, the short the shortest series but i think Islanders penguins is going to go seven or close to it at least i think boston washington will uh, and uh, even the, the Winnipeg-Edmonton one is a very underrated series because you got Hellebuck, one of the best goalies in the league, against McDavid and Drysaddle, the best one to uh, scoring punch in the league. Uh, but out of all the series, and I know Florida and Tampa's uh, up there as well, but the, the Minnesota-Vegas series is what I'm really into because Vegas has all this pressure on them to, to, to do something, right? They haven't done anything since going to the Cup. I mean, the last year they went to the Conference Finals and got humbled. Uh, but Minnesota, if you watched uh, the games this year, Minnesota handled them. And Vegas frustrated by uh, by the Wild. And I think the Wild being a, a hockey hotbed in Minnesota, they've been dying for a team to get past the second round. I think it was, what, 2003 with Gabrick uh, was the last? Rollison right. was the team? I forgot mm-hmm. who was on that team. Uh, but um, uh, that's the series I think that you're going to get a lot of back and forth, a lot of pushback. And uh, I don't think Minnesota is going to pull out game two. Uh, because I think Vegas is really going to give their best effort. But uh, that's the, the series I'm really looking forward to. I, I want to see a lot of game sevens. That's basically how I'm looking at it. This year. I think we'll see probably maybe three or four at least. Yeah, I mean, last year we were so fortunate with, uh, I believe, what, the Western Conference Finals going seven, or maybe it's the semifinals. Um, but then also the, the Islanders uh, took it to seven as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'm just hoping that we can get uh, that kind of quality as well from <laughs> the 2021 version. Yeah. Um, kind of transitioning to the LA Kings now, uh, we got some help from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I read one of your recent articles. Um, the Kings are currently slated to, they're in the eighth spot for the lottery, um, 6% chance for the, uh, for the top uh, pick. Um, if you had to pick today, who's, Who's the guy that you would take? Uh, let's just say they end up with number eight. And then let's also say they end up with number one. Who would you take in those scenarios? Well, number one, I'll just get the number one out of the way because for me, it's it's either one or two players. And uh, my my next rank is going to come out soon. Very difficult draft year to assess. It's not like any other one I've done before. Every year has always had a consensus, number one, except for 2017. But even in 2017, we knew there was uh, there was some separation outside of like the top four or five. Um, with this one in particular, though, we, we really don't know. Like you have guys that might be ranked 15 in one ranking and two or one in another one. So, uh, but my top two are going to be the two kids out of Michigan, Matt Beniers, the center, and Owen Power, the defenseman. Uh, Power is going to be playing for Canada at the upcoming World Championships. Beniers is going to be playing for Team USA uh, at the same tournament. Beniers was a big part of Team USA winning the gold uh, at the World Junior Tournament, and he had a fantastic freshman year just like Power. So those are my top two. If I'm going to create separation, I'm going to make those two guys my my top two, either or, really. Uh, 
because they're both fantastic prospects. And then you could kind of go, go thereafter. Uh, as far as the eighth pick, I mean, kind of goes back to what I said, how, I mean, it really all depends on, on what the Kings are looking for. We all know that they're loaded at center, right? They have at least, I would say, seven or eight prospects that I would call um, blue chippers. And some of them are even playing wing because there's just no room for them. you got this massive uh, competition between these kids or who's going to crack the lineup. Uh, so I think, you know, if, if a center comes up, uh, let's say let's say a guy like Beniers, do they take him and say, well, he's the best player available. He's number one on our board. we got to take him and just see where it goes. Uh, and maybe the Kings will do that. Maybe they say, you know, hey, we're going to turn you to wing now because we just have too many centers. Um, but there, there are a lot of guys. If they go defense, I think maybe the Kings could use like another playmaker on defense. And in that case, maybe one of the, the, the two uh, guys from North America, one being Luke Hughes, who's Quinn Hughes' brother. He's a lefty. And then you got the righty, the Canadian kid, Brant Clark, who played for the OHL, but uh, ended up going to Slovakia when they shut that season down. So, um, you know, I, I would lean towards wing or defense. Uh, the goalie, there, there are a couple of goalies that some are saying might uh, be top 10, top 15 this year, Kosa the kid out of the WHL, and then uh, the Swedish kid, Wallstead, that uh, a lot of people know about. Uh, but the Kings are kind of not, I don't want to say loaded, but they have a lot of goalie prospects. And I don't know if they're willing to spend the first round pick on a goaltender. So uh, I, I'm, I'm leaning, I'm thinking it's going to be either a wing or a defenseman. You know, we'll see you, how it goes. Do you think with this yeah. kind of draft, let's see any, I mean, any team really, do you see a team drafting now more for a position of need as opposed to just drafting who they think is the best overall player, number one? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think so. I, I think that that they're going to look at their prospect depth charts and they're going to say, you know, and they're going to look at the skill sets of all their, their main players. And again, when, when you're drop, drafting in the, in the top 10 or 15, maybe even for the entire first round, you want a difference maker and the guy or the kid that's going to take the shortest amount of time to become that difference maker. So, uh, you know, some teams we've seen them say, oh, we'll just, you know, get this college kid. He'll be in college for three, four years. You don't have to worry about him. Well, if you're picking in the top 10 or 15, you can't really do that. Uh, you know, you want kids with the, the immediate impact because if you're a losing team, chances are that the GM and the scouting director and the coaches will have their jobs on the line. <laughs> they want the help to come in as soon as possible. Um, so, yeah, I, I could just see, you know, this, is a, this, this particular draft is defense heavy. Not really in the top five, but and I wouldn't even say it's going to be like 2012 where you had like, what, eight of the first 12 picks with defensemen. Uh, but this is more heavy on defensemen than it is at center ice. And so uh, considering that the Kings, uh, that's a position of strength for them, both at the NHL level and also at the at the prospect level, uh, that maybe uh, it would be, and not just the Kings, a lot of teams for that matter, are just going to look at their strengths within the organization and say, all right, you know, with this draft, you know, we don't really know. Everything's all over the place. Let's just go for need. And, and that's really it because it's it's crazy. I'm telling you, it's crazy. You talk to people in the industry and they're telling you that their draft boards look so, like incredibly different from everyone else's and vice versa. So, Yeah, t- Steve, totally. I mean, I've seen four or five different rankings with four or five different number one overalls. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty wild, this draft. And it's pretty, it should be pretty fun to watch, but like you mentioned, this draft is really top heavy in terms of defensemen, but a lot of the defensemen besides Hughes are right shot demon. And with the Kings, we, they're pretty loaded in terms of uh, right shot demon, even on right now on the roster and even prospect wise with Brock Faber still up, up to come. Helga Granz is still is, is a really good dynamic uh, offensive player. 
he's a right shot demon. So, I mean, for me personally, I don't see the Kings taking on Hughes. They're looking for more of like a, a player who's going to probably make an impact sooner rather than later. Um, I've always seen uh, the forward Kent Johnson as one of the yeah. more NHL-ready players. Uh, but who do you think would be more NHL-ready in the top 10? Well, first thing is we, we need to adjust the term NHL ready because I, I used to always think that NHL ready was like they they they, they come in and, they, you know, uh, there's only three or four guys per draft year where they, they come in right away. But now we're seeing whether it's cap related and it probably is going to because of COVID and all the losses in revenue that teams are, are going to want to get cheaper. So now you're seeing all these kids. Uh, that were drafted recently, not not top five picks as well. Like kids that were drafted top ten, Cole Caulfield, top fifteen pick. He played in you know uh, for ten games for the Canadians after only two years at Wisconsin. Uh, that's something that we never really used to see before. So uh, I think that technically we have to adjust that like you know way of thinking and saying that really all these kids are NHL ready because the the, the money factor and. Uh, if you want to say that size isn't a big deal anymore, it used to be physical maturity, right? That physical maturity was a big deal. Well, it's really not because you got guys like Alex DeBrinkett and Cole Caulfield and, you know, Sam Gerard, guys that are under 5'10 coming in and becoming impact players rather quickly. So, um, but I, I, I like the kid Eklund uh, out of Sweden. He's a left wing. He can play right wing. He's not a big guy. He's about 5'11", a buck 75. But he he said all or he set or came close to setting all types of U18 scoring records in the in the SHL for U Gardens. Uh, he played on Alexander Holtz's line, so you got Holtz on one wing, the right wing. You know, Holtz being a top ten pick last year for the Devils, and Eklund on the left side. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I've seen the kid play a ton. He outplayed Holtz, I would say, like 85, 90 percent of the time. And drives wow. possession, and he's flashy, and he's tough. He's a he's a he's a little uh, kind of pesky too. Uh, so I think uh, I mean he got hurt recently, so he's not going to be playing at the upcoming Worlds. Uh, but you know, Mapineers physically ready, mature. Owen Power physically ready, mature. Uh, you know, Carson Lambos uh, physically uh, mature. He probably might be ready. And the other thing is a lot of these draft picks this year because of COVID, they had to go to the European Adult Leagues. Uh, Mason McTavish. Uh, who's a kid, uh, uh, Brennan Hoffman, uh, Francisco Pinelli. Uh, they all were OHL kids that, that had nowhere to play. So they ended up going to Europe and they played in places like Austria and uh, Slovakia and Slovenia. And I think that experience is going to kind of help them because there's a huge, huge difference in uh, the physicality, the, the level of play uh, from a junior league to an adult age elite league in Europe. Steve, let me ask you, do you think that could maybe become a thing for the future where some of these uh, younger, like 18-year-olds start going to Europe instead of going to the junior simply because of the rules saying that, you know, under 20, you can either go to the NHL or the, the juniors. You can't play in the AHL. So is it maybe would behoove them to go to Europe to get some professional experience and they're not beholden to an, uh, an OHL or a WHL or a Q team? Here's the problem. The Canadian Hockey League, which is basically the governing body of the three major junior leagues in Canada, which has always been the main developer of talent for the NHL, you know, for years, it was always about 80, 85 percent came out of those three leagues. Um, they're, they're an institution in Canada like they, they are. Uh, I mean, I don't think we have anything really comparable here in the United States where you have a, an amateur league, a junior league where, you know, they have, uh, you know, the whole country shuts down to watch the Memorial Cup and it's nationally televised. So the Canadian Hockey League has been losing a lot of money the last few years. They're not getting the American kids anymore. The American kids are going to the USHL and they're going to college 
And on top of that, now they're not getting the European imports because the European imports are either going to college or the USHL. So the CHL has to find the way to, to, to maintain its relevance in the country. And that's why they have this rule where you're not allowed to play in the, in the AHL, the American Hockey League, until they're, you know, 19 or 20 years old. Um, but I think to answer your question, I think that's going to have to get reevaluated because, you know, the, the bottom line is developing players to play in the NHL, not filling stands uh, or filling an arena in North Bay or, you know, Kelowna. It's to right. get kids to the NHL and make them the best pros possible and give them a great career, a great life. And, it, and listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If someone told me when I was 17, 18, hey, you're going to go to northern Italy or you're going to go to Switzerland and you're going to live there and get paid uh, and also play hockey, a game that you love. I mean, I'm not turning that down. I, I mean, no I, know, I like to travel, so maybe you know, they can think differently. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a great it's a great question. And, and we'll have to wait and see. But I really think that the CHL, the NHL, they're all going to get together and try to uh, find find, uh, you know, middle ground. Uh, where you're not, you know, punishing the kids, but you're also, you know, maintaining the integrity and the success of the CHL. Yeah, and to your point, Steve, I mean, you you look at a guy like Arthur Kaliev, who Rob Blake today, today uh, said in his exit interview um, that he admitted that the team had originally planned for him to play in the OHL this season, but obviously with the COVID stuff, he played for the rain this year and led the team in scoring. So, um, I mean, personally, on a personal personal level, I'd like to see them reevaluate that age restriction. It was more exciting to (laughs) – admittedly, it was more exciting to watch the rain at times this year than the Kings. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, No, I agree. I mean, it was ridiculous how many kids they had down there and the kids that were playing well too. Yeah, I mean, even like Quentin Byfield. I mean, if you look at him, this is my personal opinion. I know there's some differing opinions out there. But if they had to send him back, I personally think that sending Quentin Byfield back to junior this season would have done nothing for his development. You know, he really that that year of AHL really helped him. And if they had to do, if they had to make the choice, I would have said he'd been better off playing in the NHL, just be playing against a better competition and being around the coaching staff rather than, you know, going down and obviously playing lesser competition to what he is right now. You know. Yeah, I mean, basically, you got like two two different schools of thought, right? You got one school of thought that says, you know, that the, the quicker we get these kids to the, the tougher leagues, that the faster that they'll develop. And then the other side of that is if you rush them, then you run the risk of ruining them. They get intimidated. They, you know, they they, they press. They try to do too much if they get, you know. Uh, but I think that, you know, again, it, it's just if you want to blame it on COVID or it, – it's just every, everything's going to have to be reevaluated now because, it, it, you know, you've had kids go straight from the CHL right into the NHL and be dominant. Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, uh, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's not like uh, uh, there's a rule that says, well, if they play against men, they're going to be a better become a de- development to a better player. No, I mean, Stamkos didn't play against men. Uh, Tavares didn't play against men. They went right into the NHL and they were fine. But at the same time, you know, uh, it's all about what the kids want. And remember, you also have pressure from the agents as well because the agents want to get paid. Right. And right. the agents, uh, you know, realize that, uh, you know, that entry-level contract uh, and all the bonuses kick in once they get to the actual NHL. And so um, that's why you see a lot of these kids leave college early. Uh, so, you know, a lot of stuff to talk about uh, for the powers that be in the uh, coming years. 
So just kind of transitioning into there are five players that uh, we kind of wanted to discuss with you um, in the upcoming draft. Um, just kind of doing like a full scouting report and breakdown. The first one being Brant Clark, the right-handed defenseman. Um, he was one of those players that played overseas uh, for in Slovakia. Um, I was just wondering if you could kind of give us maybe, let's say, strengths, weaknesses, and your pro comparison for him. Well, he's a playmaker. He's got good size. He's he's got he's very mobile, highly intelligent. Uh, so he's about six one one seventy five. Like he reminds me a lot of Scott Niedermeyer, but not with the like. Niedermeyer was very graceful and a, a fluid skater, whereas Clark is a very awkward skater. But he's almost like uh, uh, like he's like knock kneed or knee knock knock kneed, where uh, it, it's it's <laughs> like you know he's got a really wide base. And it's almost like he's skating on his edges uh, moving forward. So, but he's so like fancy and dynamic and, uh, you know, uh, creative with the puck. And, uh, you know, I just got a chance to see him up close and personal in Texas uh, for that tournament. And he was one of the best players there. Uh, So uh, what you're looking at is a a potential number one defenseman. Uh, He's very enthusiastic. He's got a great head on his shoulders and, and he's just, he's very smart. So he can make everybody around him better, that cliche. Uh, type of defenseman, uh, not overly physical, but competitive. And um, again, I, I don't know if, if, if any like aesthetic issues with his skating is going to hurt him moving forward, but I mean, he could go into end and coast to coast. Uh, just not uh, like in a road runner kind of a way, but uh, that's the kind of player that he is. And I guess transitioning then to our second player and Owen power. Um, I know Russell had this question um, just kind of our, conversations that we've had but um do you kind of see him developing into more of an offensive defenseman as his game grows yeah like i know i mean i'm dating myself now but he's a throwback and you know there was a period in the 1980s really when i first started watching hockey where it it was really like the first major era of the defenseman yeah we got brad park and bobby Orr, and uh you know in, in the uh in the 70s uh, but you know, there was. It seemed like every team had a, an aggressive puck moving defenseman, and he's kind of a, a cross between Larry Murphy, a former Kings draft pick that they traded, and uh, Kevin Hatcher, <laughs> the big big defenseman uh, that used to play for the Capitals. Uh, where he's this big guy. Uh, he's not the thing about both Larry Murphy and Kevin Hatcher is that they they, they weren't overly physical. And power is six five six six two seventeen or two twenty. He's not like a linebacker on skates. He's not a guy that like mashes people and like you know. But he, he's he has the hands and the footwork and the creativity of a forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, like like the way that Larry Murphy was, or like the way uh, you know, in a way a little bit the way like a Drew Doughty. But I think Doughty has that has that like uh, that attitude. You know he he, <laughs> he you know. Power is very reserved on the ice, but you can't take him for granted or take him lightly because, you know, he'll use his stick. But he's the kind of guy that you put on the ice, he'll, he'll log 25 minutes a game. Uh, his pass deliveries, 99 out of every, every 100 will be right on the tape, uh, and he does not get rattled under pressure. I think that's what a lot of teams look for in their defensemen. They don't want guys that are just going to be willing to throw the puck away at the first sign of uh, forecheck pressure. And uh, a lot of defensemen in this, in this draft class, the top ones, don't do that. They're very poised. And they have a high panic threshold. Something that really stood out to me about Owen Power's game is his ability to quarterback the power play. And you noted yeah. you noted it too, but his stick handling skills, especially in close quarters, 
yeah. he's such a big guy and you see his hand just kind of moving um so nifty and stuff it's just kind of a rare skill set yeah and one thing to consider is that that michigan team had like eight zillion top prospects from <laughs> them and they all yeah. want the puck they all want to you know <laughs> impress the, the teams that drafted them or impress the other draft, uh, you know, the, the scouting directors. And it's not easy for a defenseman to be in that role. Cause you know, you got uh, Brendan Brisson the, with the one timer and Thomas Borlo with the shot and uh, you know, Benitez and Johnson. I mean, it was a, it was a, a star studded group uh, of uh, college hockey players. And he, he found a way to manage uh, all of them into the attack and kind of like facilitate their strengths. So I like what I saw from really had a good year this year. Yeah, and we could get into a whole other podcast about um, wanting to see Michigan in the in the um, NCAA tournament. But <laughs> yeah, um, transitioning to kind of the last defenseman that I wanted to hone in on was Simone Edvinson. Um, I saw in one of your recent art- articles that you compared him to Victor Hedman. Um, every time I watch him, it's hard for me to get a grasp of what type of player he's going to be. I guess can you just kind of shed some light on that? He's he's a he's a big mobile confident young man. He's got great hands. He's an excellent, he's an automatic breakout. Uh, he plays with a lot of fire, but it's more like internal f- fire where you just know he's really upset that, uh, you know, they're targeting him or that his team needs a boost and uh, he wants to take control over a game. The problem with Edvinson is that uh, it sometimes it gets him into trouble. So he played in all three senior leagues this year. Now, the, as far as the comparison to Victor Hedman goes, I just want to make it clear that, it's because he's Swedish and he's big and he, he could skate um, mm-hmm. that uh, remember Victor Hedman took like five or six years to become the Victor Hedman that we know today. They were a little worried about him in Tampa for a couple, the first couple of years. So uh, in that regard, I think that Edvidson to reach his ultimate maximum peak, which is a number one defenseman on a, on a really good team or a contending team. Uh, it's going to take four or five years. He just wants to do everything himself. And not in a in a selfish me 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 kind of a way. It's just that he he hangs on to the puck for a long time, and he's got to learn when to let it go. He also has to learn when to when to step back and 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 switch over to defense. Because I can't tell you how many times I watched him and his poor forwards are like, all right, there, here we go. He's below the goal line again. I got to go go cover from at the point, and he he gets victimized a lot for odd man rushes. So some people want to say that he's a really good defenseman uh, defensively. One on one, absolutely. Uh, but it's the you know the the knowledge and and the anticipation of positional playing his own end that that has me concerned. So I'd say he's more of a top fifteen to twenty pick than he is a top one to ten pick, like some people have him ranked. But you know, wow. to each his own. And uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he reaches his potential and becomes that really good uh, NHL defenseman. Kind of switching to the forwards now. Um... One prospect that really intrigues me, and I love watching his game. I was telling Scott and Russ the other day is Cole Sillinger. Yeah. Um, big, heavy shot, six foot, 200 pounds, um, left handed. But I guess the things that I've kind of read on him are uh, he just doesn't have the greatest quickness. But, you know, when I watch him on film, I see him darting through the slot, and he has a lot of goal scores goals. Um, just kind of looking for more insight on whole cylinder and if that quickness thing holds any water the whole he's the one that 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 started like uh getting me uh you know a little upset with some of the reports out there i'm i'm usually okay if people want to have their opinions you're not gonna it's not good if everyone lives in an echo chamber we all agree on the same thing but um you know same thing i watched cylinder play last year in the whl watched him play a ton this year in the ushl and 
okay, so if his stride isn't perfect, I mean, look at all the top players. Look at what Mark – did you guys watch the Vegas-Minnesota game the other day where Mark yeah. Stone, arguably one oh, of the yeah. slowest forwards in the NHL, went coast-to-coast coast and just completely dangled like two or three Minnesota uh, uh, Minnesota uh, uh, players. And I'm like – and I, I even tweeted about it. I'm like, oh, look at look what slow Mark Stone just did. <laughs> so it's like the skating thing has become so overrated. You got – now people are talking about hip flexion and crossovers and who cares – <laughs> Who cares about that stuff? I mean, that like we all know that the majority of the game is played in one end. Okay, you could say about the neutral, but it's in. It goes out. It goes fine. But like to really be successful, you have to execute plays in the offensive zone. And it doesn't matter how fast you are in that regard. As long as you really keep your feet moving and you're executing your set plays and your cycles. So Sillinger is just a fantastic playmaker. He's got great vision. Uh, just always keeps his feet moving, and he's mean. He's got a great shot. He could score in a whole bunch of ways, and he's got the NHL bloodlines. You know, his dad, Mike, was the journeyman, but uh, always a, a very important and uh, versatile player for any team that he played on. And I think that that's the kind of player that Cole is. He's a versatile, multifaceted. He can play center. He can play wing. Uh, he's a high-volume shooter. He could be a pass-first guy. I mean, uh, he's been in my top ten most of the season, and I'm not oh, moving. Wow. Uh, and, and so uh, he didn't play at the last uh, the tournament, and it's a shame because because he didn't play. It gave the chance for other guys to get more uh, get noticed more, and I think because of that, you might see some recency bias in rankings. But uh, he's a top ten pick for me. I love him. Yeah, and it's it's hard for me to gauge his quickness on a highlight film because it's exactly that a highlight film. Yeah. Um, but just the last guy we kind of wanted to talk about, and you've already mentioned his name, was Mason McTavish. I keep checking out mock drafts, and he keeps shooting up um, draft boards. Uh, one of those guys that was without a place to play uh, this past season went over to the Swiss League and then captained the U18s for Team Canada. Um, shed some light on him, and I guess where do you think he goes in this draft? Yeah, I agree. Anyone that wants to shoot him up uh, in their rankings and mock drafts, be my guest. I mean, uh, he's he was always in like the the fifteen to twenty range for me. Uh, but again, I got I got a chance to see him up close and personal uh, at the U18s. And although I, I'm against using a tournament, a short tournament to to you know pick one guy over another, I mean, he he was such a difference maker on the penalty kill, the physical play. He was blowing people up. Like in all three zones, he was hitting people in the offensive end. He was hitting people in the neutral zone. He was hitting people in the defensive end. Um, you know, I initially assessed him as a shoot first winger, right? Because Washington play for uh, for Peterborough. That's what I thought of him as. I like a shoot first left wing goal scoring type. But then I realized like, no, this kid's a playmaker. And if, if you go back and you watch the film from the games in uh, the Swiss league, that he didn't care that he was playing against men. He didn't care that he was 17 playing against 25, 30 year old guys. He was blowing them up too. <laughs> and uh, uh, just a mean, abrasive, angry kid with a lot of skill. So, uh, you know, no issues with the skating. Um, you know, if you want to focus on discipline and getting it, I mean, who cares really at this point? I mean, really, he's a kid that I wouldn't even be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's top three on some draft boards after the way oh. he played in that tournament. He is a, I don't want to say he's a special player, but I, you know, what, what, he made me come out of my seat, and it, a lot of it didn't have to do with, with with puck skills. A lot of these young kids could do fancy things with the puck, but uh, I just – he plays a complete game. He really is a complete player. Just to kind of almost follow up on that, um, 
do you think he's the fastest right or highest riser in the draft coming up or do you see another player taking over that spot well well we we have to wait and see how power and Benias play at the UA at the at the men's world championships because they're playing against men so uh you know I, I could see a guy but yeah I would say that um you know Svechkov the Russian kid too another kid that uh, that I've been high on uh, a lot of people got a chance to see him for the first time in that tournament, and he was fantastic there as well. Uh, you know, the uh, Tuamala, another one, is, is going to be a riser, the, the winger from Finland. And, again, the, the thing that, that's similar about all these guys, well, not really as much Svechkov, but Tuamala, you look at his listings, 5'11", a buck 75, and he hits. He is always in motion. He's fast. He's got that lethal one-timer, and he's always aggressive on the forward check, and he, he's willing to deliver a pretty hard body check. So I think – I mean, for all the scouts in attendance, you have to ask the question, do those kids play like that because the scouts were there or do they always play like that? And if you watch them play during the season, the answer is yes, they've always played like that. They've always been physical. And Steve, kind of before I pass it off to, to Scott and, you know, stop hogging the mic, um, I just want to get your, your thoughts on uh, Zachary LaRoe. Um, he had – what, like four suspensions this year is yeah. uh, some dis- disciplinary issues. I showed the the guys here uh, earlier today his fight. I believe it was on April 21st uh, where one of the opposing guys was uh, he slashed his goaltender and he kind of had enough of it. Do you see his uh, disciplinary issues uh, right now being a problem carrying over to the next level? No, absolutely not. Uh, it, it, the disciplinary issues are off the ice. Is that what you got to worry? Now that he has that, I'm just saying, like, so when it comes to discipline, uh, what you do off the ice will be a red flag. But what you do on the ice, being dirty, I mean, look at what Tom Wilson's doing. You know, like mm-hmm. Tom Wilson is hated by everybody, every fan base, but guarantee you every GM in the would love to have him on the team. So uh, I don't think I don't think it, it'll be a deal breaker. It'll, it'll be a red flag or whatever you want to call it because he's a skilled guy. Now, I have, I have you know, uh, some reservations about him as far as like, you know, uh, uh, you know, decision-making and some other things like that. But as far as like, does, is he worthy of being a first round pick? Absolutely. Uh, he deserves, he's got a pretty strong draft resume. It's a shame that we didn't see any Quebec league kids at the U18 tournament. Cause you know, a lot of big names were missing uh, because they have playing in the postseason right now. And uh, they might've opened up some eyes. So uh, I, I like LaRue a lot. I really do. Uh, there's a couple of good kids that are coming out of the Quebec league that aren't really getting talked about much because uh, they really haven't had the spotlight shine on them yet. Yeah, I mean, and actually, you know, Ryan's really quite shy until you put a microphone in front of him, and then <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can't. My, my disciplinary so, uh, issues are a problem. Steve, is there anybody who's kind of over it? Well, <laughs> Steve, is there anybody who's overrated in this first round? Uh, there's a couple of guys, and you know, I know that they're kids, uh, but I, I gotta, I gotta channel my inner Mel Kuyper and just, uh, you know, not mince words. Uh, Fabian Liesel is uh, incredibly fast. He's a winger that plays out of Sweden. And uh, he, when I watched him play for the men's league team, got, he got traded from Forlona to Lulea. And I think the issue was playing time related and there might be some other stuff going on there too. But as a fourth liner for that, this competitive team uh, that he got traded to, he was actually a hard worker. But at the U18s, he, he was puck hog. And in the Swedish J20 junior, junior league, he's a puck hog. Uh, and so I'm wondering when he's not blowing by everybody with his elite speed, uh, what, what else can he do? And he, the thing is, he can contribute off the puck. 
I'm just saying is like, you know, maybe, you know, some people talking about maybe potential top three or five pick. I, I wouldn't do that. I think that he's a little rough around the edges and his game needs refinement. Uh, I would say Edvinson is a little overrated, but more by the NHL scouting community because they're the ones that apparently have been polled and said, oh, he could be a first overall pick where the people that cover the draft and follow these kids from year round, not to just the NHL scouting community, but uh, I guess uh, if you want to say that uh, we're really not influenced by anything, but what we see with our eyes, uh, I think that Edmondson is more of in that 10 to 15 range than the one to five range. And then the two American kids who I used to be really high on uh, one uh, being Chaz Lucius, the other one being Sasha passes job. Lucius has uh, has an excuse because he had uh, a knee injury, uh, but Pasajov, uh is a pretty one-dimensional player. And I had him in my top five for a long time. And then when I watched him play, I'm like, you know, his line mates do all the work. And he just sits there in the in the right circle as a left shot, waiting for that one time, waiting for that one time. Uh, and it's an elite one time. And he scores big goals, but I want to see more compete out of both of them. And uh, so, I, you know, I wouldn't draft either of them in the top 10. And I, I kind of had to ding them a little bit in my, in my next rank. Sounds kind of like Ovi on the power play. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but Ovi also yeah. is energetic and he hits and like, he's right. Right. That's all I want out of these kids. I want them to, to play hard off the puck or just show that you care. And a lot of these kids, they, they, they can't do it. They're so used to, uh, being the top dog uh, that that they I don't want to say they mail it in, but you watch Matt Benias play, he doesn't know what the word mail what the term mail it in means. He's goes full throttle, the full like he'll play a two and a half minute shift full throttle from beginning to end. So um, hey, you know, listen, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So I can rank kids on what I I think is good and what I think is bad. Um, but um, those are the kids that I think uh, have a little bit more risk attached to them and might see them slip out of that. Let's say like top five to 10 area that a lot of people have them right. It kind of would have been interesting to see, um, you know, cause obviously I believe Maddie Beniers was committed to Harvard and then flipped last second to Michigan. Yeah. If he, if he had gone to like the USHL or something like that, or um, any other league uh, to play this season, you know, if he would still be ranked in the top three or what have you. Um, but yeah, just kind of to wrap up the questions that we have, you know, it is such an odd year with so many people shifted in different leagues and stuff. Give us someone that is maybe going to be drafted in the second or third round that you think could end up being perhaps maybe the biggest steal uh, in this draft. Uh, there's a couple. Uh, the There's a Finnish kid named Billy Koivinen. And, I, I mean, he plays on that line. So Sam Tuomala was the, was the main guy prospect-wise out of Finland. After Atu Ratu, remember we thought he it was going to be he was going to be the number one overall pick, and he kind of yeah. slipped a little bit. Uh, but after after Ratu, it was more like, all right, well, who's the next best finished player? And a lot of people, including myself, felt that it was Tuamala. But it turns out that his line mate Koivinen, who's a left wing, he basically plays like a center, defensively responsible, outstanding stick handler and passer, playmaker, uh, lethal on the power play, just the crossing passing. That I mean, Tuamala wants the puck. To set up his one-timer, you got to have a good playmaker to set him up, and that's what exactly what Koivinen is. But he's also got good size and is responsible in his own end. The other kid I really like is the, the, the smaller defenseman on the Chicago Steel in the USHL. He's a Long Island kid, so I'm not biased because he's a New Yorker. But his <laughs> name's Ryan Ufko, and he's going to UMass Amherst. And this kid is like a he's, – he's like a Tory Krug. He packs a punch. He, he hits hard. He's the 
like the same similar situation with Owen Power in Michigan, where all these talented forwards, Chicago Steel being like basically the Michigan of the USHL, yeah. where they have all these high level prospects playing for them. And you got to find a way to, 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 to make all of them happy because they all want the puck. And, and he does a great job facilitating that. Uh, and he's got a hard shot. But again, the physicality, the, the momentum changing plays, the footwork in traffic, uh, I, I think that he might even be a first round pick. I might be shortchanging him. But uh, if he does get picked in the second or third round, you're looking at a big time steal. I think at least. And just staying with the Chicago Steel, just your very quick thoughts on, uh, before we get to listener questions, very quick thoughts on Jack Barr. He's mean, man. He's a mean, <laughs> mean, aggressive, angry. He's just mean. He loves to hit everything. He'll hit anyone, anywhere. doesn't matter what. To, uh, he was paired with Ufko, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning of the season. And I guess for this, for the Clark Cup final that's going on right now but with uh, Fargo, they kind of split him up. And and the thing about Bar though, he's got puck skills. So he's a Canadian kid. He's playing in uh, playing in the USHL, uh, but he, he could skate. He's got size. I think he's like 6'2", 195. Uh, he's got really good hands. He's a good. Uh, uh, well, his passing is okay, but uh, you know, always aggressive. He's always like dropping down below the circle or below the goal line. Involved in plays, activating. But the the big thing with him is how tough and physical he is. Like he he just he'll hit everything. So. <laughs> I like him a lot. I mean, that's where I think discipline comes into play is that why are you going to drill a guy like in a developing three on two? Why are you going to drill the puck carrier along the boards when that puck carrier sees it coming and just make that three on two become a more dangerous two on one? And I noticed that that boy does that a lot. You know, he, he, he takes a lot of chances for the sake of physicality. And I, I think that's something that you could learn to tone down a bit at higher levels. So, um, but I mean, it looks good when he does it. I mean, it's like they get an open ice. <laughs> uh, so as, as Ryan just said, we do have uh, some listener questions. You mind uh, answering a few of them for us? All right, let's shoot. All right. So the first one is from uh, Richard Stravia. And anybody who listens to this show knows I love telling everybody this. He goes by yeah. Dirty Harry on Twitter. It's just one of my nice. favorite things, you know. So, nice. <laughs> anyways, he wants to know what grade would you give the Kings organization based on the last three drafts since Blake took over, and should they focus on defense or offense in this coming draft? And also, as a third part to that question, should they trade or should they keep their first round pick or try to move up in the draft? Well, they have they have arguably one of the top two prospect pools in the league, and the way that I rank farm systems is. If they dra- if a team drafts kids that I like, I'm going to give them a good grade. It's just that <laughs> simple. And if those kids that I like that they drafted have really good post-draft seasons, then it's going to help their grade even more. So, I mean, I love what the Kings have done the last three years at the draft. I mean, they're playing their kids at the NHL level. Uh, I was the guy that – and I, I, this is not bragging. But, again, it, it, it ties into Richard's question is, like, I, I, I thought I was, the, I think, the only guy that thought that Bjorn Fott was better than Broberg. And I said, Bjorn Fott is better. I'm telling you, he's more polished. He's going to be in the NHL quicker, and he's going to become a more uh, impact player sooner. And so far, that, that's looking like uh, a good prediction. So when, when the Kings take a guy like Bjorn Fott, not that they, they wouldn't have taken Broberg because he was already off the board, but uh, the point stands that, that I really enjoy uh, doing my post-draft write-ups when it comes to the Kings because they, they just draft plays that. Simon Tybel, love Simon Tybel. Uh, You know, Kaliev. I mean, I could go down the list of all the guys, uh, you know, gave a lot. 
Velarde. I wanted the Rangers to get uh, Gabe Velarde, uh, Kupari. <laughs> Uh, you know, and then of course you got Byfield and Turcotte at the top, and even some of the the other guys like Akil Thomas and Jared Anderson Dolan, and uh, you know the uh, you know uh, Marcus uh, Phillips, uh, the, you know the, the all the goalies. I just, I, I, it's a well balanced farm system, and it is, it, it's got all types of things. It's got elite talent, elite scoring, physical defensemen, mobile defensemen, uh, you know, uh, you know stand up goalies, uh, active goalies. I mean. Uh, it really, it's just a matter of time. The law of averages is going to work out for the Kings. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, that's and, a, and you know, you just you just mentioned Simon Tyvel, so we got one actually about him. Uh, it's from Stephen Faracoli, and he wants to know what's your take on Casper Simon Tyvel uh, signing for three years with uh, Kalpa in the Liga. Well, I just want to answer the other two parts of Richard's questions first, real quick. So, oh, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> no, I don't. Now, no, I don't think they should trade the pick because remember the Kings for years didn't have a lot of picks and the last couple they, they have. And I just say, you know, you know, you have one second. I think they have uh, two thirds a fourth, fifth and sixth. So I wouldn't trade. I would keep the pick and think about trading other prospects you might consider to be uh, redundant or blocked and get some NHL help. Uh, but I would keep the pick even in this kind of a draft. And the other question is uh, which way I would lean towards. I would, I would look for more finishers. I, I try to go get more, you know, Arthur Cali of types. You got all these centers, all these playmakers. Uh, why not complement each one in the farm system uh, depth chart with a, with a winger. So uh, I would definitely go with a guy like an Eklund or a Kent Johnson, uh, you know, or even maybe McTavish or a Sillinger. Um, and so as far as Simon Tyler goes, you know, listen, uh, I was surprised he went as late as he did. Uh, and, you know, maybe they knocked his skating uh, or maybe they knocked his size. He's kind of like a stocky uh, build for a, a, a finesse winger. But uh, you saw how he played at the World Juniors. He he actually was pretty good this year in his first taste of uh, SM League hockey. So he played against adults. I thought he held his own. He's definitely too good to be in junior hockey right now. And I just love how he's always around the net. You know, he's he's a finesse guy, but he's always around the net, fishing around for bucks, battling for net front positioning. And I think that's the type of plays that the Kings want. You know, have the hands to handle the puck in the tight areas, but also be willing to battle as well uh, and make it all the more difficult for the uh, for the opposition in those uh, those key areas. So I'm pro Simon Tyvel, always have been. Very cool. Very cool. And we have one last question. It kind of wraps up everything we were just talking about. Uh, it's from Blake D from the IE, which Russ, that means Inland Empire, correct? You're right. Just, just I'm in upstate New York, so I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, do the Kings draft for need or take the best player available considering the odd nature of this year's draft? I think we've pretty much touched on that for the, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what best player available means though. I mean, we all fall into this trap where best player available it's supposed to mean the guy with the most stats or the most like, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, he's the flashiest, but I, I think it really, it depends on what the Kings view as their weaknesses. So if their weakness is, let's say goaltending, then to them, the best player available is going to be, you know, Kosa or Wallstead. So uh, I would, I I'd go for, I'd go for need. I would go for need, you know, and there's nothing wrong with doing it at, at eighth overall, um, you know, cause you have so much skill everywhere, uh, you know, you're going to really create a log jam. If you keep, like, let's say the best player available is a center. You're going to draft another center now. So now what you run the risk of uh, knocking down guys like Akil Thomas or uh, Tyler Madden, you know, and so uh, if they don't switch to wing, you might have to move them. They become unhappy with your organization. I, I, I like drafting, uh, you know, for positional need uh, in a situation like this, especially when you have the second best prospect pool in the league or the first, whichever way you want to look at it. 
And Steve, um, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and doing this with us. But just my last question for you is you just kind of just touched on it. Um, Kent Johnson, if the Kings were to take him, let's say, eighth with the eighth pick, do you see him staying at center or do you see him transitioning to the wing in the NHL? He could play, he could play either. I mean, he, he's, he's a natural goal scorer, uh, but he's also a natural playmaker as well. So it, it really doesn't matter. He played center most of the season uh, when he was in the BCHL. And then this year, he and Veneers were on the fourth line with Veneers the center and, and Johnson the wing. And within a matter of like two games, they were already like top six guys. Uh, so uh, like he's got, he, he has the slap shot. He, he loves to use the slap shot. I think that's a, it's a lost art in the world of hockey. Um, and so uh, I think he could fit either way, but in, in, within the context of what the Kings have in their organization, then he might answer that question, that, that natural goal scoring wing that could complement an Alex Turcott or a Quentin Byfield. So yeah, I'm pro Johnson. He, he's going to move up all the way to number four in my final ranking. Uh, you wow. know, uh, there's so many things that that the, the critiques that he get, are, I don't think are warranted because he's also pretty good off the puck as well. Uh, and I just want to say one thing, and I think I talked about it in a podcast and even wrote about it uh, in the write-up where the, the Michigan was one play where they were executing a weave. And, uh, and so he was curling towards the point, right? I guess to, towards the right point is a left shot. And he wanted the defenseman to switch. So that means that he's going high. He wants the defenseman to switch and go low. But the defenseman wasn't having it, and either he didn't understand what he what, what was expected of him, or he was just tired and wanted to stay there. And Johnson was was doing this; he was doing this while he's carrying the puck. He's giving that. Like, I've never seen that. I've never seen that in my life in the sport of hockey. And that is high level intelligence right there. Uh, and I, they scored a goal later in that shift. That had nothing to do with the defenseman, but. Uh, yeah, I just I, I love the kid. I think he's a great prospect. He's a lot of fun to watch. And oh, by the way, he scores these Michigan goals and Dipsy Doodles, and you know, so he's all that player about him as well. And if it, if it helps, I mean, Ross has been banging the drum on him since we started. So that's uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Ken uh, Johnson fan. Yeah, just because of those Michigan goals and those, all this fun stuff that he does. He's yeah, he's a fun player. player. Like yeah, I mean, you want you want to you want to <laughs> when you go to the, go to the game, you're paying. Seventy-five, eight dollars a pop, and you know, fifteen dollars for beer, or whatever. Like you want to be entertained, mm-hmm. and uh, right. you know, the Kings won cups by by playing a real physical, intimidating style, and they they had a lot of skill too. But uh, you know, maybe I'm old school. I, I remember Gretzky and Nichols and Robitaille, and uh, before Gretzky, Jimmy Carson, like you know, uh, a lot of fun to watch. And so I like uh, I like the high flying days of the, the old Kings, and uh, would be nice to see it again. Yes, it would be nice to see it all over the league too. I think it's yeah. I, I think it's coming. I think it is. Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you for coming on. Before we let you go, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the Draft Analyst site and the uh, YouTube channel you have and uh, where we can find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. Uh, the YouTube channel is called Prospect Film Room. It's basically just highlight packages for the, the top prospects. And I actually just learned how to put the 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 highlight the player so you know that it's him in the highlight uh and then you're gonna find just basically all the top kids i usually do about 50 to 75 a year uh so most of the top kids that get picked you'll find highlight packages brief ones too like five to six minutes uh the draft blogs located at the draftdownless.com uh draft profiles mock drafts rankings uh recaps of all types of tournaments prospect events uh, every league gets covered uh, you know, there's even NHL stuff on there. We cover NHL prospects and the Stanley Cup playoffs. I got an article coming out 
in a couple of days about uh, the postseason. So and it's a free blog. So, you know, you, you know, you don't have to pay anything. And I don't think I have any more ads on there anymore. Those are annoying me. So I got rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your uh, just a, a quick plug for you, Steve. I mean, your latest article, I believe, was about Simona Edvidson uh, today. So, everyone, please go check that out. Yeah, and uh, uh, Svechkov comes out tomorrow. Okay. on the radio. You might see him top five. By the way, good play, good wow. center. Beautiful. One last question: Who's taking the cup? Mm. <laughs> I want to say Colorado. <laughs> They, they have, the reason why I'm saying Colorado is they had two painful game seven losses, one where they were the young upstart team, and then the other one as the favorite. And I, I think that really bugged them. And even though they have a, the defense is a little young, uh, I, I think that they're going to hit their, their stride. Not even now. They're going to hit it in like the second or, or like conference finals, second round of the conference finals. And I, I think this is their year. But uh, out of the East, um, yeah, I guess I think Carolina's. I think Carolina's going to surprise some people because they it's similar situation to Colorado, where they've had some some pretty uh, uh, difficult defeats uh, to stomach over the offseason. I think that they're 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 so physical and mean and skilled. I mean, uh, I just want to see the Leafs play. <laughs> I want to see the finesse yeah. Leafs play one of these <laughs> these teams. I just want to see what happens and see if I'm wrong. Like if, if we're all wrong. <laughs> That you can win a cup with just not back checking and not hitting. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So Steve, we had uh, Chris Peters on from Hockey Sense last week, um, and he actually predicted Colorado Hurricanes finals. So you guys have obviously been comparing notes uh, before you come on the podcast. <laughs> no, I mean he's a smart guy, and I like Chris a lot. I like I like the work that he does. He was great uh, doing color at the uh, the U eighteen Worlds. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean it's just I think. You know, I, I mean, the, the, the hunters always become the hunted. So I think uh, this year it's going to be tough for Tampa to do it. I just think that the East is going to be so tough, that gauntlet that you got to roll through. Whereas I mm-hmm. think the team that comes out of the West is going to be like, oh, I get to play the Maple Leafs or, uh, <laughs> you know, like, or the Jets. Yeah. You know, no offense to them, but, you know, it's, it wasn't a good division this year, so. Uh, well, wait a the Leafs got to make it out of the first round, though. So that's you know, uh, the Canadians are so bad, though. My goodness, I, they, <laughs> they, I mean, they they they, they can, the thing is, I, I'm going to go over a tangent just for a second. They they kept everything secretive, like gamesmanship. I get it, but they got Carey Price playing in the minors. Yeah, like Shane Weber, like like he was skating, but they're not saying if he's going to play or not. Um, <laughs> they got problems, but uh, you never know. Listen, Carey Price stole the series against Pittsburgh last year. So he, no reason why I can't do it again, but we'll see. It's, it's James Bond hockey up there in Montreal. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, we'll let you go. We, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, you're welcome to come back and talk to us at any time. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank All you, right. Steve. Thank appreciate you very it. much. All right, guys. Have Steve a good Coriano. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that was Steve Corianos of thedraftanalyst.com. You know, I got to tell you, now I'm starting to get excited for the draft. And it's it's incredible. He's right. The the draft boards are all over the place, it, which we what to be expected. I mean, how, you know, we really can't. It's hard to judge any any kid's talent this year because of all the shortened seasons and the no seasons and all that. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's making them. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, so I was going to say real quick. It's going to be interesting to see how the chips end up falling because you know he noted all these guys that were going to end up in the in the top five of his. Uh, 
draft board, but, you know, you could have one of these players that we were talking about here slip all the way to, you know, in the 15s or 20s. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could see some down the bottom now, all of a sudden, the top five, like you've mentioned. I mean, we've only really seen players, or most people have only really seen players play at the World Juniors. So now it'll be interesting to see if the top, top 10 mixes up. Absolutely, absolutely. So switching gears from the draft, Russell, I know there is something that you want to talk about. So lead us off. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. I'm so, going to sign off, guys. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> we all know what the big news has been these last few weeks. It's been all around that Buffalo Sabres forward, Jack Eichel. I have a few thoughts on this, and I've been kind of holding it in and ready to release it here. Okay. Trading for a Rel- player. Relieve like- yourself, Russell. <laughs> um, yes. I'm ready. It's coming. Trading for a player like Jack Eichel is the reason why the Kings have been stockpiling these picks and prospects. Jack Eichel is a top 10 center in the NHL, and he's only 24 years old. Of course, he signed to a big deal, $10 million for, what, five more years. And I get it that he's had some neck history. There's a little bit of a neck uh, question mark going on right there. But we're talking about a legit superstar in the NHL. And the up-and-coming kind of, he'll pass the torch pretty much from Kopitar to Eichel. So I know a lot of people are kind of questioning, like, okay, well, if we're trading Jack Eichel, we'd have to probably trade a Quentin Byfield. I'm not necessarily on board with that, and I'm pretty sure I kind of feel like the Kings could get, get Eichel without trading away Byfield. I mean, with all those question marks I just mentioned, the, they can probably, with the amount of prospects the Kings have, they can put together a package that doesn't include Byfield. Velarde, Kupari, Fagamo. There's a bunch of prospects that can be included. And I mean, if I were to make that trade, which I, I think the Kings should, I wouldn't. I wouldn't include Quentin Byfield. I wouldn't include Arthur Kaliev, and I wouldn't include Alex Turcotte. I would just try to do my best to try to get a package together without those players. Um, if a Turcotte is included, or if a Kaliev is included, maybe I would kind of see what that package would look like. But Quentin Byfield is off limits for me. That I mean, I agree with everybody that says that, but getting Jack Eichel wouldn't be a bad thing for LA. And I think it's something that they should really pursue. And it sounds like it's something that Rob Blake has. Yeah. Frank, Frank Zarelli from TSN was just saying that that's Byfield's a non-starter. That's uh, and that's coming from, a, you know, some pretty good sources, according to him, um, you know, and really it wouldn't break my heart if they included the first round pick. No, not at all. And I think, I mean, if they include this year's first round pick, like we just mentioned with Steve, it's there's so much up and down with this draft that I mean, there's no real generational talent that's kind of just like sticking out right now. So I mean, you can make it top three protected or whatever. I think if they are to include a first round pick, they'd probably have to look at next year's first round pick. They have two second round picks this year. They can include a second rounder in that package. So I mean, we're talking about. The, the Kings have so many prospects. I've, I've heard from people on Twitter that, oh, we're going to sell the farm just to get one player. No, we can sell three or four high, high-end prospects and still have three or four more left. There's, I yeah. mean, this is why we've been stockpiling these many prospects. So give LA. LA has to make a deal like this. And, and it seems like it's either going to be Jack Eichel or, I mean, it seems like it could be Jack Eichel or a solid left-wing dynamic or left-wing forward or a dynamic uh, left defense. So, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot of question marks, but it, it's either Jack Eichel 
or those that left wing forward and that left defenseman really for LA. And that seems to be the strategy that, that Rob Blake will be going. But also I will say that if the Kings do get Jack Eichel, there's still room to get another piece. They're, they're not going to have, they're, they're not going to be cap strapped all of a sudden. Uh, I think they're going into next year with close to 20 mil in cap space. So you're still talking about close to 10 mil. You can sign a depth forward. You can sign that left, left shot defenseman and possibly get another star coming into LA. But like we heard from Rob Blake today um, during the exit interviews, roster the roster has to be changed, and there's some players that are probably going to have to be coming in. Yeah, and that's and you know the the thing is, is how many left or dynamic left defensemen are available? Really available? Mm-hmm. You know what and I that's mean? That's a big. Yeah, but I mean, just to mark. wrap up. Exactly, it, but just to wrap up with Eichel, the uh, rumor mill has it that Arizona is suddenly heavily involved. I don't know how they're going to pull that off because they have like four draft picks, I think, and, you know, and, and I, I, obviously the prospect pool isn't as deep as the Kings, but we'll see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, I, shifting I mean, gears, just real quick, I, I don't see how Arizona gets on, in on that. I mean, I just, yeah. like, they don't have nearly the, the prospect pool or the, the picks to make that work. I mean, right. They'd have to give up like half their NHL roster. <laughs> Or chicken. Or chicken. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's coming to LA, so it's okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah. Another thing I will say on Eichel is that I've heard some people kind of questioning his leadership abilities. I mean, he was just nominated for the King Clancy Award, so that kind of should put a lot of that to bed. So just kind of throwing right. that and out you know there what? as well. And he won't be so dependent on to be the leader in LA. Yeah, exactly. You've got, Buffalo, Coltar, I mean, you've got Dowdy, you got Brownie, you know. Buffalo is a big market for for hockey. Uh, so there's probably a lot of attention. I mean, right next to Toronto, you come to L.A. I mean, I just read something from Tyler Toffoli where he was talking about how he'd go down the street. People wouldn't even know who he was. I mean, L.A. is a big, big hockey community, but I mean, it, it's a big area, too. So there's a lot of superstars in L.A. You have LeBron out here. Jack Eichel could be a right. superstar and not have that pressure on him as well. Right. Well, exactly. No, no offense, but we we saw we all saw what Taylor Hall did as soon as he got out of Buffalo. No offense to Sabres fans that might be tuning into this, but you know, it yeah. is what it is. It was the same yeah. thing Jeff Carter did when he got to Pittsburgh. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, right? In all fairness. No, right? I know, I know. <laughs> um, but shifting gears and speaking of the Bruins, Ryan, you wrote an interesting piece uh, a day or two ago about a, a certain trade. Yeah, so I was just kind of perusing um, just kind of the rumors and stuff like that. And I saw something interesting on the Boston Globe. Um, the Bruins are looking for more, uh, I guess, centerman prospects that are real close to, to being NHL ready. And the, the trade they proposed was Jake DeBrusque for Tyler Madden, straight up. Just a straight up trade, no other draft picks involved. Uh, Jake DeBrusque had the first goals for the Bruins in games one and two of the playoffs so far this postseason. Didn't have the best regular season. I think he had, what, five goals, nine points, something like that. Uh, numbers are all starting to blend together in my head. Um, but he's two years removed from 27 goals, and he had uh, another look in uh, in game two. Uh, I forgot who passed it to him at the right dot, but he had an excellent look, a, a one-timer on net, He's got that good finishing ability. I think that would be valuable to to the Kings. Yeah, he looks a lot bigger on ice than how I remember Jake Russ. But I mean, I, when you sent me over that uh, trade, I was like, oh, I can see Madden, Madden as being a piece. I, 
the Kings would probably have to include a little bit more. I mean, DeBrus is he's a he's a scoring forward. I mean, he's a scoring winger. I mean, we're not just gonna be able to give up Tyler Madden. I know Tyler Madden's got good potential, but probably have to include a little bit more. But like I mentioned, I mean, the Kings have the pieces to make these type of trades, and and Rob Blake, it seems like he's ready to pull the trigger on that type of move. Well, it's just it's it's interesting on Jake DeBrus because he. He was a healthy scratch a number of times this season. He had like a career worst, uh, less than 6% shot rate. Um, obviously, uh, career low, uh, average time on ice. He's fallen out of favor with the coaching staff um, for reasons that I don't quite know. Maybe it's just the numbers, just not scoring or what, I, what have you. Maybe there's more to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a, a change of scenery is best for, for both parties at this point. I think – it could be a good fit here in L.A. Yeah, and the irony is they could have actually drafted him if they didn't trade for Milan Lucic. But, uh, <laughs> Let's not talk about that. You know, it's, I know, right? <laughs> uh, I know, just think if they still had that first-round pick. Anyways, uh, you know, that's, that's the thing about Tyler Madden. You know, very exciting player, but you almost got the impression, at least from my standpoint, when they traded for him in that Tyler Toffoli trade, it almost felt like they were trade for future trade bait. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, even then, they were still so loaded at center. And then especially once Quentin Byfield comes along, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. what's going to happen here? Somebody's got to move, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's really too bad that he broke his collarbone playing for the rain this year because he really didn't get uh, all that much of a chance to showcase what he had. But uh, I I think that's somebody that could actually be be moved to, to add. Yeah, and he also broke his finger, too, in the very first game over in Germany with the uh, Ice Baron. Berlin mm-hmm. uh, you know he's part of the the five prospects that went over together and he's immediately sent back so I think he was limited to 14 games this year um, but yeah I mean you said it too Scott I, I just uh, once they drafted Byfield I was like I just I don't know where he plays unless he converts to the wing even then you know <laughs> there's not a whole lot of room on the on the current roster yeah it seems like the Kings down the middle are pretty much set going into next season. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be Kopitar, Byfield, Velarde. And then if they make the Eichel trade, Byf- or Velarde probably have to be included, or maybe let's say they do include Byfield, then you have Kopitar, Eichel, a mix of Velarde or Byfield. I mean, having that, I'll go back to Eichel again. I mean, you can have those three down the middle with Kopitar. That's a playoff caliber roster. And with the amount of prospects that can come up, I've been finagling a little bit on cap friendly and come up with some pretty... <laughs> pretty exciting lineup so we'll see what happens you know it's always interesting when you say in the group chat i well, so i got bored last night <laughs> <laughs> i spent a lot of time on cap friendly just kind of like messing around with that armchair gm that's kind of what my night entails before i finally decide to doze off to sleep <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're dedicated, Russ. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Russ actually just uh, he takes a screenshot and sends it to Rob Blake. He's like, "Look, this is what you gotta do." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try to make this trade. <laughs> Look, it <Blocked>. worked. <laughs> Look, they said it was okay. They said it was okay. Uh, so, uh, so let's wrap up with uh, exit interviews that are taking place. And one that really kind of struck me was uh, Drew Doughty. Of course, mm-hmm. I mean, why not, right? Um, he is uh, pretty much sick of losing and wants to see the Kings improve the roster, which is what we have been talking about. Uh, what were some of the takeaways you guys had from all the, uh, the exit interviews that are going on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dowdy st- stuck out 
obviously it seems like he definitely won. I mean, he's been around this team for a while now. So he's been through the, obviously he's been through the ups and now he's going through the downs and he's, he's seen this roster firsthand and he's played with multiple pairs of defensemen. And it finally seems like he's, he's got a good partnership going on with Mikey Anderson. And, and that was probably one of the few great takeaways to have. If you're a Kings fan is that revitalized season that drew Doughty was having. So you were kind of having a lot of question marks for his play the last few years, but now this season is, is a good step forward for him. And I hope, uh, I think him and Mikey uh, will have a good pairing in the future, but with Rob Blake today and Todd McClellan today, and I know um, Rob mentioned that roster roster change is probably coming up in the off season. And we've all been aware of that for the whole year now that changes are going to have to be made. And Todd McClellan mentioned that there was some, some disappointments obviously throughout the year. he, he noted the four check was was really disappointing. So I think we were all we we all saw that firsthand. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. I don't. He one one statement that kind of stood out to me is that he mentioned that with the the new talent that's coming up, that they might have to look at different systems. Um, I thought that was really interesting because if I've, I've I was actually I don't know if I talked to Jim Fox about this, but he he said that he might see the Kings changing away. From the one-three-one system, if they get better talent in, which I'm not a big fan. I've mentioned this multiple times. I'm not the biggest fan of the one-three-one. I think it takes away of a lot of excitement from the game. You just get a lot of dump-ins, and you're just hoping for clean breakouts. I mean, that's what the Kings and that's what the Kings had this year, and you just never saw that clean first pass from the defenseman to the forward throughout the whole year. And I think if you get more skilled players, you can go to a more heavy four-check cutting game. Jeez, Russell, Jim Fox mentioned you one time on the broadcast. <laughs> now you guys are best buds. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I think we're hanging out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but no, just to, to touch on the Dowdy thing, I mean, uh, obviously it's a positive that he has a pairing partner going into the offseason, which can cannot be said for the past two. Uh, obviously, Ben Hutton last Last offseason was a, a free agent, didn't return, was a, a late addition to the Ducks uh, at the start of the regular season. Um, you could be playing but, games for the Leafs in the playoffs. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was obviously it was traded then too. Um, but if Dowdy is, is he's so outspoken, and Rob Blake responded to him today, so it was so nice to see that. And uh, ultimately, we have to wait to see what the summer brings. Um, July 28th is when uh, free agency period officially opens. But, um, yeah, uh, you can't feel the same roster next year. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, we can, we can talk about yeah. trades and players that they're looking at, but I think the expansion draft is a big question mark for all teams this summer. And maybe we'll, we'll see some big moves just from that. And the Kings uh, have a lot of cap space, so. Let's see if they take advantage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and uh, one last interesting little nugget that I took from those uh, the interviews, uh, McClellan's today, Coach McClellan, he was asked right off the bat if he thinks he's going to be back next year. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an <laughs> so, interesting question. Uh, the pressure might be on next season. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. So, uh, geez. <laughs> yeah. He was like, but, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the entire I don't think coach. It's like yeah, the entire coaching staff's gonna be back next year. It's like holy lord, we're in for we're in for a ride here, guys. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the expect meet, expectation meter just went and broke. So that's yeah. a... <laughs> oh. Well, guys, I'll tell you what. We got about, oh, almost 10 minutes now until the uh, Ontario Reign play their first playoff game. So I think we're going to wrap this one up so we can uh, we can watch that. Mm-hmm. But uh, once again, we want to thank Steve Corianos from the uh, Draft Analyst for coming on. It was a great interview. And um, until next time, guys. Ryan, who we got coming up on our next show? Yeah, next Tuesday. Uh, seems like we record a lot on Tuesdays. Just works out with a, a lot of us. But actually, got Colin Fraser coming on. So a lot of a lot of you listeners should know who that is. So it'll be on next Tuesday. Very cool. Very very cool. All right. So we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, for Ryan Sykes, for Russell Morgan, I'm Scott Kimball. Thanks for listening. And no, not go Kings go this time. It's go rain go. There you <laughs> go. See you next time.